you really need to get into like the character's head of like what they're thinking of how they're going to move how they react to other characters and like with improv that kind of helps because you're kind of thrust into a situation that's briefly explained to you and then you just have to act on it like kind of naturally respond to the situation and i applied that to animation Welcome everyone to Straight Ahead, an animation podcast where we spotlight rising black, indigenous, and people of color who are the future voices of the animation industry. I am Raymond Dozalanda, one half of your co-host. And I'm Yuki Okamoto-Wong, the other half of our whole host. Our guest this week is Eric Bertulfo. He is a Filipino-American artist working as a junior 3D animator at Dreamview. And would you mind telling us a bit more about yourself? Hi, everyone. My name is Eric Bertulfo. Uh, like Yuki said, uh, Phil Am junior 3D animator working at Dreamview. I am also a SGSU alum, just like Ray and Yuki. So this is super mm-hmm. fun to be talking with them again. And I'm super honored to be a part of this podcast. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah. <laughs> Glad to have you on, man. Thank yeah, you, it's thank super you. exciting. But before we get into the interview, the way we like to start off on Straight Ahead is by playing a little game called In Between. We're going to give you two similar choices, and then you have to choose in between the two of them. And let us know why. Got it. Got it. Okay, cool. I'll start us off with the first question. Are you ready, man? Go for it. Okay. Would you rather live in the Watchtower from the Justice League animated series or in the Teen Titans Tower from Teen Titans? Ooh. (laughs) The face you made while this was happening. Oh, man. (laughs) Because I'm assuming if I live in either of these places, I'll get to interact with the people living there, right? Of yes. course, yeah, yeah, yeah. If, if you if you're if you're in the Justice League Tower, you are a Justice League member. If you're the Teen Titans Tower, you are a Teen Titans member. Ooh, you are part of either organization, depending what you choose. Man, that that is a tough one. I'm kind of leaning more towards the Watchtower because if I'm if I'm part oh. of the Justice League, I'll get more clout. Because oh. <laughs> if I'm part of the Teen right. Titans, you know, I might not get taken seriously. <laughs> and because, you know, they are looked as like the sidekick team. And if I'm part of the, the JL, then it's like, oh, mm. this guy means business. He's part of the legit team. Damn, man, way, to, space. way to disrespect the Titans. <laughs> that's true. Well, they also got a teleporter too. It's like all, all their tech is like better, I guess. So it's I, really high tech. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to have to go with the Watchtower. <gasps> Whoa. We've kind of talked about this question before, but like the Watchtower is a little more like businessy, isn't it? Yeah, it, it feels it feels more corporate versus uh, the Teen Titans Tower. It <laughs> feels fair. more dorm like. They're just like in a dorm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. fair. I think I would. I because honestly, space is cool. You're right. There's just a lot more amenities in the Watch Tower, but just I think it would just it would make me feel like I'm back like dorming in Joe West, like at San Jose State, if I was like at the Titans Tower as a Titan. Mm-hmm. Those are fun mm-hmm. times. I think I would want to stay at the Titans Tower. Mm. You're in a big T. You're in a big T. <laughs> and that's the other thing too, like you're a giant target. Like you're not <laughs> you're not being conspicuous at all. You're a giant T. Watchtower, you're in space. Like hardly anyone can get you up there. <laughs> Only the true badasses. <laughs> <laughs> I, I probably would also go with Titan's Tower. Also, okay, I'm, okay. I mean, but like I think the to your is point, cool. the Watchtower is extremely cool. And I think to your point, yes, you would 100% get way more clout. <laughs> Just <laughs> just Justice League member, I guess, unless you're Booster Gold. But <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, I don't need the clout. I like I like dorm dorm uh, mm-hmm. aspect in my own little room. Yeah, it just seems like being a tiny, it's a little bit more chill. And also, who's to say I can't visit too? Like I can just drop in anytime. That's true. true. But you guys would need permission to come onto the Watchtower, so 
<laughs> get Dang. out of here. Get out of here. Blocked. But one of the things that you're saying is like, I mean, we started the questions that you want to say you can interact with someone. Who did you want to interact with? Honestly, anyone. Like from the anyone? the core team to even like the lesser knowns, except for Booster Gold. Like, <laughs> honestly, I think anyone I'd just be excited to meet. I don't think Batman will give you the time of day, man. Dang. That, that's fair. I, I probably wouldn't bother him either. But you could at least see him. Like, yeah, from, from a distance, I saw I'll let, Batman no, in the cafeteria. The hall, I'll be like, oh, there's Batman. <gasps> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it could see the appeal. Mm-hmm. You don't have like a favorite, like a top favorite? Um, I mean, I was, I was always a, a Flash guy. Mm, so oh, nice. I think that'd be cool to yeah. just to see or like interact with eventually. So yeah, if, if you can ever catch him. That's true oh, no. too. <laughs> I'll just assume every gust of wind I feel is like, oh, that was Flash right there. Everybody else is like, dude, it wasn't Flash. Oh. <laughs> I is this that. Bruce or Gold passing gas? Oh. No. Oh, oh no. So this is a really, uh, really good answer. All right. Uh, next question. Would you rather have the soundtrack of your life composed by a sweeping classical narrative like Hans Zimmer in Prince of Egypt? Or a more contemporary artist like Phil Collins in Tarzan. Oh man! Oh, <laughs> I'm a huge music nerd because I, I did oh, marching yeah? band in high school and like concert oh. band and orchestra and stuff. So mm-hmm. like music was like a huge part of my life during high school. Mm. And so like after that, I got really into like movie soundtracks. So asking me to do or to choose between like a Phil Collins track of my life or like a Hans Zimmer mm-hmm. track of my life, I don't know, like. Bill Collins' music is like so much fun to listen to and like you really get yeah, into yeah. like the visuals that go along with it. But, you know, Hans Zimmer is just a classic, really moving, like dramatic mm-hmm. composer. It's like, which which do I want my life to be more associated with? I think I'd have to go with Hans Zimmer. Oh, interesting. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like a more dramatic. Okay. More dramatic. Yeah. More. More orchestral. More orchestral. Yeah. Because I, I do get like more goosebumps listening to like Hans mm-hmm. music where like with Phil mm-hmm. Collins like I, I listen to like to get my it's more like a head bob head bob yeah to get yeah. to get like my heart pumping to get me like pumped for the day that mm-hmm. kind of thing mm-hmm. but yeah I think I think Hans Zimmer would be my go-to for my life mm-hmm. soundtrack yeah your life would definitely sound a lot more epic I would say yeah 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 because he does have that that range mm-hmm. of like musical mm-hmm. stylings because yeah he did like Prince of Egypt and then like he did I mean, he did so much he stuff did, uh, yeah, he did amazing <laughs> spider-man 2 and like that the whole like electronic vibe that he did for that is mm. completely different from what he does for like the more epic movies so it's like i feel like he could That's have that, that varying range to like give certain themes for moments like of my life. Of your life yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. that makes a lot of sense i thought like i mean Exactly to that point of like Hans Zimmer's like range is so incredibly like diverse and of course he's he's just a great composer. Mm-hmm. Um, it'd be really hard to compete with it, even though I, I do like Phil Collins. And I think that was a really interesting pick for Tarzan, like mm-hmm. his music, because like most I mean, most Disney music is not like it, it's mostly orchestral. Right. Uh, and in Phil, Phil Collins and Tarzan, it's always like him singing about what's happening and not like the character singing. It's just such an interesting uh, concept Yeah, for a Disney movie. Yeah. And it works very well. Yeah. Like, it's it's mm-hmm. super memorable. Like you listen to those songs, you immediately think of Tarzan. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I think, I think I would probably go with Phil Collins myself. Oh, okay. interesting. Yeah, because I'm just, I, uh, for the life of me, I can't remember any of the specific songs, but I'm just thinking of that scene in Tarzan where he's like, when he makes that little staff to like get those fruits and stuff. I'm just uh-huh. imagining that song playing while I'm at the grocery store. <laughs> just me, just me, just me picking up tomatoes and like bananas and having that song play. It's a much more lighthearted feel to your life, I guess. Yeah. And see, now I'm just imagining you like just dancing around the supermarket, doing all these things like to the beat of the Phil Collins track and everyone's just looking at you like, what's this dude doing? Dude, I, I always dance in the supermarket. My wife gets so embarrassed. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks so much for playing. In yeah, that was super with fun. Us. I really like those okay, questions. Great. Okay. Yeah, good. Good. I'm glad we, we made them especially for you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> And if you enjoyed today's in-between questions, let us know your responses. Or if you have any suggestions for future in-between questions, contact us on social media. So, man, let's jump right into it. I'm excited to have you on the podcast. And one of the things I kind of want to start off with is that could you tell us what you do as a junior 3D animator at DreamView? And then could you also tell us a little bit more about DreamView for those that might not be familiar with that studio? Yeah. So, you know, as a junior 3D animator, you know, I essentially 3D animate characters, sometimes creatures for whatever major projects that we're working on. And with DreamView, what DreamView started out was, was essentially kind of a virtual production company Mm -hmm. because they only started to get into 3D animation back in 2020. Oh, wow. Oh, so that's really recent. It's really recent. So they're, re- they're really yeah. still poking their toes into the water. Because before, they mainly focused on more marketing stuff. Mm. They did a lot of furniture work for like Ashley mm. Furniture. Uh, oh, okay. One of the big like bedding companies. I forget which one. But they did a lot of re- very, very realistic renders of like the mm-hmm. furniture that they put out. And they right. do the things where you go to, to a website, like Ashley Furniture website, and they... They'll showcase their furniture and it's not the real furniture, but it's whatever 3D model that they like rendered out to do Mm -hmm. for the company. And like they do like 3D turnarounds. They put it in mock bedrooms to to show customers what it would look like if they bought it. So Mm. back in 2020, they were contacted by Mattel to do a short episodic series for one of their YouTube shows called Hot Wheels City. Mm -hmm. because before Mattel would do that mostly in-house because it was a stop motion production so Mm. they had physical models physical sets but when COVID hit you know everything was practically shut down they couldn't work oh they couldn't be in their space to do stop motion so they obviously had to find a different outlet to continue working on their show because obviously it's very popular with the kids so they reached out Mm -hmm. to or I'm not sure who reached out to who first but they got contracted to do like a short Things like four or five episodes of mm-hmm. their Hot Wheels City show, but like fully digital, fully like 3D modeled and 3D character rigs. Mm-hmm. But still having that stop motion feel. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. So mm-hmm. obviously they wanted to keep the stop motion feel. So they basically took the little figurines that they had, scanned it or hand 3D modeled it to make it look exactly like the figures that they had. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, put it in a Maya scene and essentially just animate to the show. And... The way that I got kind of roped into it was I, I'm living from I was living from home. Um, I was still in the middle of like job hunting, and mm-hmm. I get a email from Raquel, our animation was a counselor. What was her? She's role? like a professor, head of yeah, animation, animation professor. professor yeah, yeah. One of the main animation professors at SJSU, 
And she contacted me saying like, hey, someone that I used to work with, they're looking for a 3D animator. Are you interested mm -hmm. in working? And I'm like, 100%. Yeah. You know, this is my email to let them be able to contact me. And like a day later, I get an email saying, hey, you know, we're a small company that's just starting to get into 3D animation. And we're looking for some fresh 3D animators to help work on this project. And I'm like, sure. I send in my resume. I send in my reel. And then not even like two hours later, I get a phone call interview with, oh, damn. with the head wow. of the company at the time. That's fast. And I'm like, wow, that was fast. And so he, mm -hmm. he gave me the entire project. It's the Hot Wheel City, stop motion based. Are you interested? And I'm like, yeah, I'm like 100% because, you know, I'm not going to pass this up. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's basically how I started at DreamView. And from there, after we did the Hot Wheel City, we kind of just started going into more a different range of products. Mm -hmm. um, some I can't really tell because they were more like tests than like actual like project releases. Mm -hmm. But one that we did work on recently that got released a couple of months ago was the the Portal YouTube series on Bleacher Report. Like we got contracted to do that. And mm. that's actually current what I'm currently working on right now. Nice. That's cool. Yeah. How, how did those two experiences kind of differ from one another? Because like with the Hot Wheels ones, like it was this more kind of stop motion kind of thing working with like, you know, Hot Wheels properties with this one from what I know, the portal you're working with. Well, you have models based on real athletes and it being kind of basketball centric, like how has like approaching it through the animation lens been between those projects? It is a very big difference, basically, because, you know, with Hot Wheels, you're, you're working with toy cars. Mm -hmm. We animated them essentially how you would play with them, like just rolling them across the set, making mm -hmm. them do sick turns and wheelies or whatever. <laughs> so it was, it was really, I don't want to say basic. It was, it, it essentially was kind of like a basic thing to animate on because again, they're cars. Right. The, the only thing mm -hmm. we had to really animate on them was like the wheels and them turning. Mm -hmm. But like aside from the cars, we also got to work on like the giant robot creatures that the cars had to fight against in the show. So we had like a giant robot shark we had a robot snake robot t-rex and a robot dragon so when we're not animating the cards you know animating the creatures and that obviously took a little bit more time to work on but those robot creatures were super fun to work on mm. and then with bleacher report it's basketball a huge shift change from toy cars so we really had to get into the basketball mindset so people in our production team sent us a lot of reference on the basketball players we're going to work with a lot of their like signature moves, how they work, how mm. how they talk, because it's obviously a dialogue heavy show. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And going into the basketball stuff was actually really fun because I'm not really a sports person. Mm. So mm -hmm. kind of diving into this new world that I didn't really have a lot of knowledge of was really fun. Like I mm. got, I mean, for the most part, I got to know or learn like more basketball terms than I would have ever known Three years ago. Yeah. What, what are some basketball terms that you can spit at us right now? Oh, my God. <laughs> um, I know what a double dribble is. <laughs> I think it's when you dribble the basketball with two hands. I'm sure I'm probably going to get a lot of basketball people coming at me for this. What? I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's such a weird, like, pop quiz. I know that there's, there's jargon in animation. I was just curious about the jargon in, in basketball. Mm. Yeah. When, when we get feedback from like the director or the client, mm. they usually, they'll rarely say it in like basketball terms. They'll just say it like flat out like, oh, 
this player needs to take an extra step forward before you can take another dribble again. Otherwise, that's oh, traveling, okay. which mm -hmm. essentially just gave me the definition of traveling, I think. Mm -hmm. But yeah, they would they would give us like the basic rundown of what's supposed to happen rather than just give us like, oh, he's traveling. Don't make him do that. Or he right. that, that that's a foul. Mm -hmm. Can't do that. It's like, mm -hmm. oh, you know, he his elbow is too deep into the other player. That would that would be a foul. So they, okay. they really do like help us understand what we're doing wrong or what would be the specific terms for this or like the technicality stuff that mm -hmm. we have to be aware of. So yeah, that's another thing too. Like having to learn the technicalities is like, again, a huge part of basketball. Because if you do something wrong, they're always, the people in the comments are obviously going to call us out for it. Yeah. And like, oh, this isn't like real mm -hmm. basketball. You know, these, these people don't know what they're doing. So yeah, so we, we really want to avoid that as much as possible. Yeah. How, how has that been? Because I've seen some clips of it. Like I know like it can get a little, I don't want to say cartoony, but like you, it, it does seem like there's aspects you do kind of push it a bit just to make it visually yeah. entertaining. How did you guys find the balance between making it feel realistic and keeping it like trying to make it feel like it looks like real basketball versus, you know, utilize the animation to push some of the aesthetics to make it more, I guess not, not to say that basketball isn't in itself visually interesting, but on an animation level, making it visually interesting and breaking that sense of realism for something more extreme. Yeah. So the director we had for season one, you know, he really wants to like push the cartoony aspect of it, but again, also keeping the fluidity and the motion of legit basketball players. So if anything, the main thing we had to do to keep it in line with basketball, but also kind of push the more stylistic approach we had for the show was really like accentuate their poses like with with players sometimes when they're when they're dribbling a basketball down the court um sometimes they might push wider stances to like drive a fake or to to quickly change directions so it, mm -hmm. at those points that they do like we really strive to push those poses like mm -hmm. re really get them low to the ground or really get their arms out wide or when they're jumping in for mm -hmm. a dunk, dunk, you know, make them stretch as far as possible. Not not like Space Jam levels of stretch, but like... I was going to say, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, keep it in lines of human proportion, but, you know, really push it to a more cartoony style. And mm -hmm. the thing that really helps with that, too, is that a lot of our, or all of our rigs are really, you know, heavily stylized for our show. Like, our Kevin Durant rig, you know, you know it's, it's not one-to-one -one Kevin Durant. Like we've obviously like accentuated some of his muscles, some of his like facial features. So like having a more cartoony version of them really helps sell the cartoony movement that Aspects. we're trying to go for. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So that yeah, that's what we mainly you know aim to do, especially mm -hmm. for these like for like the basketball diehard fans. Like you know we want to keep them happy with like their signature moves and whatnot, but you know also mm -hmm. keep it like keep them visually entertained when they're watching it. Mm -hmm. uh, so one of the things I kind of also want to ask with, you know, you being a 3D animator and working in programs like Maya, maybe even Blender and like working with these rigs and these sets, I know it can get pretty heavy and pretty chunky like these files. How has it been as an animator working from home during during the whole pandemic era? Well, I work through a VM, a virtual machine. So oh, it connects okay. to, oh, okay. yeah, like a virtual PC at somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Undisclosed location. <laughs> yeah, 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 I'm not going to push, but like, you know, it connects somewhere. But mm -hmm. in terms of like clunkiness, sometimes it can get a little bit heavy, um, especially when we get, you know, updated rigs because mm -hmm. the riggers and the lip dev people, they, they work really hard to get the, the appealing style of these basketball players. And, you know, sometimes that could take up a bit of space. And then, you know, slapping a whole rig on top of that, that could add a little bit more space. And then mm -hmm. slapping a facial rig on top of that could add even more space. <laughs> so it can get a little bit clunky at times. But luckily, the rigging team, they find ways to, to reduce the load on these rigs. And a lot of the modelers, too. 
So I'm not sure how they do it. You know, when we get a new rig that's like significantly lighter in load or a set that's lighter in load, it's like, I'm not going to question how they did it. I'm just going to take it and just keep working. <laughs> but there, there were times also where I had to kind of clear space on my VM. There's been times where I've ran out mm. completely and it's like, oh, I, I got to clear out a lot of these old rigs that are still on my desktop that are way too heavy and way, way outdated that I just need to get rid of them. I'm obviously not going to use mm -hmm. them anymore. So it's like, Mm -hmm. well, what's the point of keeping them? Mm -hmm. So it's like, I got to rem remind myself constantly to get rid of assets that I don't use so I can free up more space mm. on my computer. Okay. It's interesting. Yeah. Like, I also recently heard about like the whole thing of like a virtual machine, how you have to connect to the separate thing. So that's, that's interesting to me. That's, that's the approach that they started using for, mm -hmm. you know, working remotely. Yeah. The only one downside to working on a virtual machine is that you need to have internet connection, basically. Mm -hmm. And there have mm. been times where I've had internet outages for like right. a couple days straight and obviously that means I can't work on anything mm -hmm. you know I get the tip like oh you know just go to like a Starbucks or something to like or somewhere that has like free wi-fi to go and work on it but you know that means I have to use my laptop and my laptop's not that strong compared to my at-home PC mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. so even though you're running on a virtual machine you still have to have some kind of capacity on your your computer that you're using to access the virtual machine? Yeah, it's a, it's a weird thing. Mm -hmm. I'm not 100% sure how that works, but I do I do find working on my PCs a lot better than working mm. on my laptop. So, yeah. Because, mm -hmm. yeah, with something like that, I'm assuming maybe because they're still relatively new to the animation space, I don't know the scope of how big or small the studio is, but, like, they haven't tried su supplying you with, like, a higher-end laptop or something to kind of help with the workload or is it just they just hope that you have the right resources to do, to do the work when i first started at dreamview they did ask me like oh do you have like a like a working computer or working laptop and yeah at the time i said yeah yeah my pc should be good you know i have no no qualms about it mm -hmm. um because i yeah they did say that they were willing to send like i'm not sure what form of supply they were going to send but they, they do ask like do you have the necessary equipment to work properly or to function properly so i believe that they would i, I want to say but most of the employees here at dreamview do work through a virtual machine mm. okay so it's i'm assuming that that's how it's been from the beginning and mm. i'm assuming they've had no complaints mm. over it so I, I guess that's why they made it a studio-wide option to do mm. so this is kind of like what you said is at first they were just a virtual studio like completely I believe so. They do have offices in San Francisco. Mm. I've never been, obviously, because I'm down in Southern California. And they did say that, or I haven't heard anything about any intention of working in office. Mm. But at the same time, that would be kind of difficult because we do have employees from like different countries. Like we have mm. people in Spain, people in South America. So I think it would probably be a bit of a hassle to, mm -hmm. if they were to say, oh, you know, we're going to start working from office to get all these people from practically everywhere right. to this potentially small building in San Francisco. <laughs> mm -hmm. Again, I've never seen the office, so I don't know how big it is. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, again, throughout the pandemic, we've shown that we can work from home or virtually anywhere. Right. So if, if, it's, if it works and they don't really need to bring anybody back, it seems reasonable. But hopefully mm -hmm. in that case, if, that, if they're not going to be paying for a studio space and decide to work remotely, hopefully in cases like that or whatever, because it does drain your machine, hopefully they can supply you with some updated equipment if you are going to continue doing this kind of situation. But that's like a whole different topic. Yeah. <laughs> so talking about different topics, one of the things I also want to talk about is that 
Uh, one of the things that you did while attending SJSU was being the animation supervisor and co-writer for the short film Firstborn, which has gained like a ton of accolades and awards during its film festival run. And it's currently available to watch on YouTube. And as of recording, it has a whopping total of 2.4 million views. That is like literally insane to me. That's a lot of views. And that's it's so cool that a lot of people are getting a chance to finally see it and view it and watch it. And one of the things I kind of want to ask is like, tell us how you guys approach the animation, especially when it came to kind of choreographing the Kung Fu. Yeah. So we're super honored and super grateful that our film reached the point where it is right now, because Mm -hmm. originally it was just me and Justin, who you had a couple episodes earlier. Previous. Uh, Previous episodes. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Previous guest. And then luckily we had David, our third, join us soon after. And, you know, originally it was just going to be us three, maybe a couple of underclassmen to help us out. So we were definitely like the underdogs of our year. So, Mm. you know, we really wanted to push ourselves to, you know, to make this film the absolute best it can be given the time frame that we had. And the unfortunate arrival of COVID really like threw everything out of the water when all the classes got pushed to virtual, you know, we couldn't go into work at the art building anymore. So there was a huge like work adjustment that we had to go through. You know, Justin and David went back to their houses. I had to stay in our apartment in San Jose. So probably like a morale deficiency as well. That probably hit you guys. A little bit. Yeah. Because, you know, when the pandemic hit, you know, everything was just kind of brought to a low. Like we didn't Mm -hmm. know what was going to happen from there. You know, were we going to finish in time? Because keeping in communication with each other was like a huge thing. And Mm -hmm. the three of us lived in the same apartment. So that's like the ultimate level of efficient communication. We literally Mm -hmm. just turn to each other and say, hey, you work on that shot yet? (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So when, when the three of us had to separate for COVID, you know, it really made us question like, oh, what are we going to do now? Mm. But luckily and thankfully to everyone on our team, we were able to push this film out, get it out there into the film festivals and whatnot. But to go into the actual work process for the Kung Fu stuff, Justin was like the Kung Fu Bible during this production. <laughs> during this production. <laughs> yeah, because... Uh, I'm sure he said it before on his episode, but that he has a Kung Fu background. Yeah, he grew up doing, I forget what style it's called, but I remember the school he went to, Yao Gung, yeah, uh, I'm going to butcher this so bad, Yao Gung Moon. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry if I got that wrong, Justin, but um, <laughs> so when we started to do the choreography for the show, or the show, the the film, Justin showed me a lot of his, of his like performance work in Kung Fu. Mm-hmm. So getting to like study all the different moves, all the different sets that goes into a Kung Fu set was super fun. And I think that's the one mm. super fun thing that I love doing as a 3D animator is like looking at reference, getting to study all these new different techniques and all these different, you know, moves that people do that I need to study to do mm-hmm. basketball or Kung Fu. It's like I get to absorb all this new knowledge that I've had no no knowledge of before. So the Kung Fu stuff was super fun. Mm. And Justin was the main person to do all the choreography. He put it all on his storyboards. Um, made it super clear, you know, what Arthur, our main character, was doing. And then I got to look at, you know, real life reference for it. And, you know, once we started to gather all that stuff, you know, we started to pass it down through our animators to, you know, to study, to make sure that, you know, we're getting all this fluid movement, right? Because that, that's the one thing about Kung Fu too that I noticed is that a lot of the movements are like very fluid, very clear. You can definitely see what each practitioner is doing. Um, but there's also a very intense power behind it too. So having to to see that and having to translate it into an animation, you know, definitely took a little bit of practice to mm-hmm. to get used to. And then once we, mm-hmm. you know, finally got the understanding of it, then it became a lot more easier to translate into animation. Mm-hmm. Luckily with Justin kind of at hand at all times, 
uh, whenever I was confused on something, I'd ask him like, oh, hey, you know, how does how does Arthur go from this move to this movement? He'll literally just stand up and just do the movement in front of me so I can see mm -hmm. what's going on. <laughs> so it was cool to have like a live, essentially a live model to help, mm -hmm. help guide me through how to do kung fu stuff mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so that was super fun and then kind of as when you were acting as a animation supervisor what was what kind of the one of the things that you were kind of supervising or like keeping your eye out when working with the underclassmen that were helping produce the shots for the short film like how was that process for you um it was fun and so i really got to kind of spearhead the animation process so mm -hmm. when when we started to divvy out all the animation shots we talked about oh this is what's happening in this shot you know, this is the kind of the feel we want to go for this shot. So do your best to get that across. And then I think it was every like once a week, you know, we would have the animators send in whatever they had. And it, it would be Justin and I because, you know, Justin's director. So he has to have eyes on it. So he and I would go through it. You mm -hmm. know, we would give our notes, do the whole compliment sandwich mm -hmm. uh, method. <laughs> and yeah, we would just essentially just give notes on animation. What could be what could be better? What What's really good about it? And yeah, a lot of the underclassmen would hit it very well. Um, there's there've only been a few times where I've had to go in and make tiny adjustments myself. But other than that, yeah, I was essentially just kind of the the eyes over the shoulder kind of the thing while they were working, hmm. and then hmm. just kind of giving pointers, giving tips. Yeah, it was fun. And then mm -hmm. at the same time, you know, working on my own shots. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when when we talked to Justin, he told us that the story for Firstborn was inspired by you and the relationship uh, with your sister. Can you elaborate a little bit more on that and why that was like the catalyst or the genesis of the film? Yeah. So, you know, when, when Justin and I started to brainstorm ideas for our thesis film, uh, we went through so many different kind of ideas. We went from like superhero ideas. Um, that was mainly it. We mainly just went through superhero <laughs> ideas. <laughs> I think about it. Kind of, kind of wanted it to be action-y. Yeah, we definitely wanted yeah. to focus on a more action-centered mm -hmm. film because Justin and I love action content. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we just got brainstorming with each other for a couple of weeks. And then um, I was back at home. Uh, I think it was for a, a holiday or, or something. I forget which one it was. Uh, one thing I should say, too, um, about my sister is that she is a phenomenal dancer. She's uh, mm. She was um, put into dance studios at very young age. I forget exactly how old she was. And she grew like a natural talent for it. You know, she's amazing at it. You know, she's been to like tons of competitions with her, her dance teams has won multiple times at those. Mm. So it, it was amazing to see, you know, her find a passion that she enjoyed. Mm. And we were out to lunch with our grandparents and, mm. you know, uh, it was, it was around the same period where she was going through those competitions and, you know, her getting all these awards and stuff and like just hearing about that and then hearing my grandparents kind of really applaud her for it mm -hmm. it kind of made me feel like you know as the firstborn that like i had this expectation to meet you know to, to be the one that gets all the accolades and the awards to be the one that's celebrated to act as like the role model or the figurehead for like to be the one that's like the example for the younger right, siblings exactly mm -hmm. for like the siblings or cousins or whoever whoever like younger and so you know hearing that my younger sister <clears throat> excuse me <clears throat> i'm not crying i swear it's <laughs> <laughs> there's someone's just chopping up onions in yeah. the room next door to me <laughs> you know hearing my sister you know be the one to be that person you know it made me mm. kind of question like oh am i doing enough to be like seen as like the the, the model firstborn son because like you know a lot of i don't want to say stereotypes but like a lot of the times like you know the firstborn son has to be like the son the, the one that mm -hmm. all the parents like brag about too 
Mm-hmm. And so like, you know, it's like, oh man, I don't, I don't feel that. Like, I don't feel like I'm meeting that expectation. I feel like I'm mm. essentially letting my family down by not being that person. And mm. so you know, going back to San Jose and like back to Justin, I told him that story and like it really, I guess, hit him. Like he really, he really believed that this would be a good story to tell that mm. like, you know, despite whatever status you try to achieve, like whether to like appease family member, to appease someone else, it's like, you know, you don't really need to do that as long as you're appeasing yourself, then there mm-hmm. is really no need to to stress over these feelings. Like mm-hmm. you only need to make yourself proud to feel proud. Mm. So that was like our main hitting point, our main like tagline for the film. Do the things that you love to do, despite what others may say or think or like not hold you to these positions. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of our main plot for our character Arthur to go through. Mm-hmm. And then we threw Kung Fu in there for Justin. <laughs> <laughs> you had the the aesthetic from Justin and the the plot from from your own yes. experience. Yes. Oh, that's actually, that's a good I really yeah. liked and I don't know if this was like also based on like your relationship with your sister, but I really liked in the film that there is the firstborn son, Arthur, and then his uh, younger sister, I don't know Aurora. Aurora. I like that their relationship seems to be like their like the the sister is very clearly not competing against her brother and even mm-hmm. like recognizes that he's kind of going through a tough time but it's not sort of like a you know she's like looking down on him or I don't ever get those feelings I get the feeling that like they're kind of supporting each other which mm-hmm. I really appreciated because there's a lot of uh, sibling dynamics where it's like oh the siblings are you know fighting against each other Right. And stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So it, it was really nice to see that, like, uh, they were supportive of each other and that they're just kind of like going on their own paths and doing their best that they can alongside one another. Yeah. 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 Like, mm. me and my sister's relationship is fine. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. No, no, no. We, we, we have a good relationship. Like, obviously, I, I harbor no ill will toward my sister. Like, I love her. I love what <laughs> she does. I love how she's so passionate with this. I totally support her for what she does. And, you know, she supports me for what I do as an animator. I should also point out that I also have a, a younger brother, the, the youngest mm-hmm. in the family. And yeah, yeah, he goes through the same thing too. Like he supports Lonnie. I support it. It's just a back and forth of support everywhere. Like there's mm-hmm. no hostility, no tension anywhere in this dynamic. And mm-hmm. the same with my parents too. They support her, obviously. You know, they support me what I do with what I do. They're just really excited for like what I do, all like the future projects that I do. Mm. So yeah, yeah, they're... I don't, my dad's not the one that's on his phone while I'm doing something all the time. You know, it's definitely not like that. Well, that's great, man. I'm, I'm happy to hear that. So, one of the things that we asked Justin when we had him as a guest was, what was it like having your film doing the film festival circuit? But now that that has ended and it's officially released, what has it been like having your film finally be available to the public? It's, it was a huge, like, breath of relief. Not relief. Mm-hmm. How do I want to put this? We were, we were very excited to release the film publicly because, you know, a lot of our friends and family, they always ask like, oh, when's first one coming out? Like, I really want to see it. And it's like, oh, we can't because it's in film festival circuit right now. But, you know, mm-hmm. we'll definitely post when it when it finally gets released. And, you know, obviously couldn't do that for a couple of months, I think even a year because it was going through the circuit. And then when we finally mm-hmm. made the announcement that we were releasing it publicly, you know, everyone was super excited. We were excited because, you know, we put a lot of hard work, effort into this. And, you know, we really wanted mm-hmm. to showcase it to everyone, to the public. And so when we finally released it, we were kind of expecting like, okay, you know, this will be like, this will be like a fun little live release. Cause we did do, I think it was an Instagram live of the, of the film. 
mm-hmm. and then we released it on YouTube. And so we're like, yes, okay, it's finally out there, you know, let's have the public kind of see for themselves and see how it does. Because, you know, we, we weren't expecting to get essentially a million views in the span of mm-hmm. a month. Like we were- It was we, really quick. We were thinking like, oh, we'll, we'll reach a million in like two years. <laughs> but then like, you know, we I kept my eye on the on the view count and like the comments and stuff. And it's like, it's getting higher, guys. What? <laughs> what? What's going on? And so like, yeah, over like those next couple of weeks, we were just kind of like, okay, it's at 500 K. That's cool. And then when it like reached like the 800s, 800 K, we were like, guys, I think this is going to reach a million in like a couple of weeks. And That's so crazy. We, we, yeah, we were like, there's no way. Like, is this real? Because again, like we were in the mindset, like we, we were super humble about it. We were like, you know, yeah, we'll, we'll reach the million in a couple of years. You know, there's no rush. There's no, there's no biggie if we do, if we do or don't. And like mm-hmm. reading the comments and stuff, like the reception was super positive and like a lot of people were sharing their own like sibling stories in the comments and how mm-hmm. like it resonated with them, how it like affected their relationship when they shared it with their siblings. And it's like, wow, like we touched on a story that we didn't think was that like well known because mm-hmm. like, you know, again, like we were basing it off my own little experience. We didn't think about how many other people would be like in this, in that kind of same situation that Arthur was in. And, you know, so seeing mm-hmm. those comments with like the, oh, this is just like me and my brother. Oh, this is like me and my sister. It's like, mm-hmm. wow, I didn't expect our film to touch this many people. And so, and then when it finally reached that million, we were like, guys, I think we did it. Like, I, <laughs> I, I think we, we did what we were aiming to do. This is crazy. And then, you know, we were super thankful to everyone. Like we all sent out, you know, thank you messages. Thank you posts to everyone. And it's just like, we were, we were super honored and super thankful, grateful, all of our supporters, family, friends, random people on YouTube, social media. It's like, thank you for allowing us to get to that point. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's, a, it's a beautiful film, man. Thank it, you. I'm, I'm glad it resonated with so many people. Like it resonated with my suegra, like my mother-in-law. She, she commented on, when I shared it on, on my Facebook and stuff, she commented saying that it made her cry. Oh. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, I even shared it in my work chat and like one of my, one of my coworkers was like, oh, somebody like actually just recommended me the same short film like just recently. Oh, so no it was like spreading. It was wow. spreading. It was making its round. So it's, it's awesome. I'm glad that it's, it's out and people can see it. Mm-hmm. And again, you can see it right now. You can watch it on YouTube. Just look up Firstborn Short Film and then the YouTube channel should be Jade House with uh, J-A-E-D. E-D. Yeah. Quick, J-A-E-D. Quick, quick trivia about why it's called that. It's basically just a combination of Justin, mine, and David's letters of our names. Originally, it was just going to be J-A-D, but we're like, that doesn't look cool. The Jad House. Yeah, it's like, Jad I feel Jad House. I'm like, that doesn't sound cool. So, let's, let's just add my lowercase e in there to make it like Jade mm-hmm. House. Mm-hmm. And so, we're like, yeah, let's do that. And <laughs> Makes it, sense. It, 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 yeah, it's really it's good. nice. <laughs> so, kind of one of the other things I want to segue into is that so while at SJSU, one of the things that you were a part of was the San Jose State, you know, improv club. How did you first kind of join improv and do you find improv to be kind of useful as an animator? Yeah, um, I actually don't remember how I got into the improv club. I think it was, I don't remember It was if it was before or after Justin, David and I lived together. I want to say it was, I want to say it was just before we got the apartment. But when I started at SJSU, I was super introverted i was super like shy i didn't really like talk to anyone i didn't really make a lot of friends like freshman year um mm-hmm. so and then like sophomore year came around and it was kind of the same thing but you know i kind of uh, i started to open up to people like i think that's when i met ray 
I don't remember exactly. I think so. I think so. I think I, I met you through Justin, but okay. uh, yeah, I think I think I started seeing you more around campus. I think in your second or third year. Yeah. So yeah, like I started to open up to people and I started to make more friends. And that's at, at that point, I've met Justin, David already. And then, you know, Justin was saying like, oh, you know, we have a little improv. It wasn't really a club because it wasn't officiated by SJSU yet. So it was just kind of mm-hmm. our own like personal improv meetup that they do, mm-hmm. I think, every I think it was every Thursday. And so they're like, oh, do you, did, did you want to come? And I was like, sure, you know, I'll, I'll step in, see what it's like. Because I did like to perform or act. Like when I took a couple acting classes for, for school, like I did like to act essentially. And I thought that, oh, you know, maybe improv will help me like improve that a bit. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I started going to their improv sessions. I, you know, I started meeting a lot more people. And, you know, because of improv, like I definitely came out of my shell, I guess. Like I, I was definitely a lot more open to people. I was definitely a lot more, a little bit more extroverted. Like I definitely felt more confident when like talking with people now because, you know, with improv, it's definitely like an on the fly kind of game, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah you, ha- you have to think of stuff on the spot. You have to interact with your performer partner. And I think improv overall just helped me, just kind of helped me laugh more like definitely bring out the more comedic side of me because you know at mm-hmm. like growing up i didn't really think i was that funny like i'd make mm-hmm. the occasional joke now and then but I, I always thought like they didn't stick but with like with improv you know that kind of helped awaken that side of me like really like read the room read the people like what their style of comedy is and kind of just feed into that and so mm-hmm. i felt like that really awakened that side of me and i'm sure ray knows this firsthand how that is um <laughs> <laughs> but with in terms to animation improv really helps because with with animation and especially with acting like dialogue animation you really need to get into like the character's head of like what they're thinking of how they're going to move how they react to other characters and like with improv that kind of helps because you're kind of thrust into a situation that's briefly explained to you and then you just have to act on it like kind of naturally respond to the situation and i applied that to animation where it's like you're putting this character in an environment in a situation you have a little bit of backstory of what's happening and so you really have to get into that thought process of okay how would this character respond or how would i respond to that and then it's just it's just a matter of like kind of quick brainstorming of how you can get this character to act or how to like respond that's believable and that's obviously in line with the character because you know not everyone's the same so you really have to think about okay how would this character react to it and how would they act in a certain way yeah yeah that's that's kind of what improv helped do for me where it really mm-hmm. helped me build my acting chops in, in terms of you know animation and getting into a character's head and really doing like a deep dive of how they would react respond in a certain situation yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. no and again i love doing improv with you i think when i got to do a scene with you it was always like really fun because i think mm-hmm. that i think we're similar in the sense of like depending who we're paired with we both of us make good straight mans and depending like because again if you're with justin or diva <laughs> you know you're the straight man you got to be the straight man they're just too insane you're right but, what, <laughs> but when we were paired with each other we were paired with somebody else i was kind of like not as out there as them we knew when to shift from straight man to like the more i guess active participant in the scene or like the one that pushed the scene the driver yeah yeah and when we were together we we would go back and forth depending on the scenario like if i saw that you were driving the scene i would step back and be a straight man and vice versa so like yeah it was always fun to do improv with you man yeah yeah like anyone that like hasn't done improv or any sort of like acting thing definitely do it 
it's super fun. It really helps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just really yeah. helps build up your your acting chops. Like you have you you don't need to have any sort of acting experience at all. I didn't have any going into improv. Like you you learn as you do it. Like you definitely mm-hmm. build off of the other people there. You you start to understand how to essentially play the game. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. and and it, again, it's like super helpful with animation and acting. And yeah, super fun. I really love doing improv. I haven't done it mm-hmm. in a while, but I think I could get back into it. No, I want to get, I definitely want to get back into it. Uh, one of the things I can also want to get into is that you're one of the few 3D animators that we have had on this podcast. Uh, the main reason being is that in our experience, at least not many 3D animators tend to be socially active on social media. However, you do for the most part, especially with the awesome kaiju fighting animations that you've posted. How do you approach social media? So with social media, I, I tend to post like, you know, my small 2D animations that like I really enjoy doing. So like I mainly do 3D animation for work. Like that that's kind of my main role at work. And, you know, to kind of get away from it, I kind of shift to 2D. Um, I mainly mm-hmm. use an app on my iPad called Rough Animator. And it's essentially that. Like you can just do really quick rough animations like wherever you want of whatever. And that's kind of what I do. Like, get mm-hmm. away from work, and if I, like, think of something or I see something, it's like, oh, that'd be cool to animate. Let me do that real quick. Like, mm-hmm. I quickly just jot it down on my iPad, and, you know, if I think, like, okay, that that's cool, I can kind of push it forward from there, I'll do it. But then if I, it's like, ah, that, that was a cool test, but uh, I don't think I'll, I'll touch this again. And I guess over time, it, it definitely dived more into the, okay, I really like where I put this rough animation in. Let, let's see how far I can push it in terms of, like, kind of giving it more clean lines, giving, slapping a character on top of it adding sound, etc. And yeah, a lot of like the animations I post on my Instagram are kaiju fighting because I'm a huge Godzilla buff. I grew up with Godzilla as a kid, like even now. And like, you know, watching the recent movies and like seeing how like well animated they were, it gave me that sense of, oh, maybe I can do that, but maybe kind of translate it into a 2D like aspect. And then mm. this was around the same time when we were working on Firstborn or post Firstborn and I was still in that Kung Fu mindset. So then I started to get the idea of like, okay, what if I combined Kung Fu with Kaiju? I just want to see how that looks. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> yeah, and like, it, it was a crazy idea at the time, but like looking at all the stuff I did now, it's like, oh, that's kind of cool. Like, I feel like I should do a little bit more of these. Mm-hmm. And I did. And then it started to, to diverge a little bit more into just regular quick kung fu sequences that I would see people post on Instagram or YouTube. I would like see a short sequence that I watch and I'd be like, ooh, that's cool. Let me animate that real quick to kind of get out of my head and just to see Mm -hmm. what could come of it. One of the main ones that kind of really sparked that was when uh, I was watching John Wick chapter two and there was a quick little sequence that John Wick does. I'm like, ooh, that's cool. Let me animate that. And so I did, I did a really like a rough body animation. There's like no character on top of it. And then soon after, I think that's when the Mandalorian came out and I was like, he's a cool character. What can I do with him? And then I remembered I had that John Wick animation. I'm like, what if I slap the Mandalorian on top of this John Wick animation? So that was like my first experiment into like combining different things that I see into this, Mm. into this like kind of hybrid animation thing. And it was super fun, like seeing these characters do something that he would do, but like in a different choreograph uh, mm-hmm. sequence. Mm. And yeah, and I, I recently did one with Shang-Chi versus Snake Eyes. I saw a quick duo choreographed fight and I'm like, oh, again, let me take that, put it into my <laughs> head real quick and then slap these two characters on top. Because again, that was around the time when Shang-Chi and Snake Eyes came out and it's like, ooh, that'd be cool to see him fight. <laughs> <laughs> let me do that. So, and yeah, I posted mm-hmm. on social media just to be like, hey, you know, this is what I worked on. Hope you like it. And then just move on to the next project. 
No, that's cool. That's awesome, man. Yeah, because dude, I love I love your kaiju fights. I love I love seeing your animations. It always like it's always so fun to see. I and do. again, like they're they're nice and rough and like loose. And then you do get clean with some of them, but like just just seeing the movement that you do is always super awesome. And there's always good weight. Mm-hmm. I think that that's the one big takeaway I took from Firstborn is really really looking into weight and power and fluid movements to get them mm-hmm. to read well on a screen. And mm-hmm. so I kind of, I wanted to keep that, that like mindset or that tool, like as, as much as I could, like, I didn't want to lose that feeling. I wanted to keep it fresh in my hand to animate. Mm-hmm. So I think that's, yeah. that's kind of my main reason for doing all the, like, these quick 2D stuff is that I want to keep that skill mm-hmm. before it yeah. eventually fades away. So one of the other things I kind of want to also ask is that how do you feel your cultural background influences you as an artist? Yeah. So that kind of ties back into the whole firstborn thing with the whole cultural mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. ideology of like the firstborn child. Yeah. Like like the firstborn child has to be this figurehead for the rest of the siblings or this I don't want to say trophy because that that sounds like <laughs> objectifying. <laughs> but like just like mm-hmm. this again I don't want to say thing because that makes it sound worse, but I mean I think to to the point of firstborn son, I don't know what it's like in other cultures, but I do know like in Asian culture that's like a huge huge yeah. thing. Is yeah, like, yeah, yeah. especially mm-hmm. having a son in the first place and the first one that you have is supposed to be your, like, you rely on them, you, like, the, the parents kind of put everything on them when, when the parents pass away. They're expecting the firstborn son specifically to take care of, like, the rest of the family. Like, right. It, it's, a, it's a thing. <laughs> to put it, mm-hmm. I mean, in, in not so uh, eloquent of words, but it is a thing. Yeah. Um, and depending on how, mm-hmm. yeah, like, traditional your family is, it could be more emphasized or not or, like... Sometimes it's just the grandparents who are like, you know, pushing it more or, uh, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I don't know. Different experiences for everybody, but for sure it's, it's, uh, culturally it is a thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's one of the, one of the main things that we wanted to highlight in the film is that, you know, despite this expectation as a firstborn child, you know, mm-hmm. you don't have to live up to it. Like you can do mm-hmm. what you want, regardless of what your parents, grandparents, whoever judges you for mm-hmm. like again do what you love to do regardless of what others might think i think that's kind of the mm-hmm. the one thing that we wanted to to highlight that this happens or that it's it's like well known in like especially asian communities mm-hmm. and then kind mm-hmm. of reinforce it that again you don't have to live up to that yeah. but still live up to like the best version of yourself but don't try to live up to the best version that your parents grandparents want you to be mm-hmm. don't let the the golden standard that they set on you shackle you down right yeah exactly mm-hmm. that's a good way to look at it and it's a good kind of message i i feel like you guys were able to get across in your short film totally yeah yeah i think the idea of like i mean you can't help being like born as like your title (laughs) as the firstborn firstborn son or daughter or whoever you are but like just because you were given that doesn't mean you you necessarily it doesn't like give you extra powers or something like that either Mm -hmm. so you shouldn't or you shouldn't have to live up to extra expectations either exactly Mm -hmm. but yeah i think that's that was one of the main like cultural aspects i took Mm. from myself to play out in firstborn in the animation Mm. totally well we're about to get into our final question but before we do where can our audience find you and is there anything else you want to promote yeah, so you can find me on my Instagram at underscore a underscore e r i k. That was the only username <laughs> I could find that really accentuated that I'm not just a regular a Eric. Eric. Yeah, I got it. You are a Eric. Eric. I'm not just a Eric. I'm a Eric. Um, <laughs> so um, yeah, but that's mainly where I post all my animations 
and Firstborn related stuff. Um, and again, if you haven't seen Firstborn, be sure to check it out on YouTube as Firstborn animated short film. And also be sure to check out all the other stuff that we are putting on that YouTube channel. Also, we put out the music video for the original song that you hear at the ending, mm. uh, More Than Enough by Just Two. And in the near future, we are also going to be releasing our original soundtrack that our music director, Arnie, uh, helped put together for us. And we are also doing some uh, small animation stuff for that too. So keep an eye out for those. Uh, one of which I am working on right now. Mm, but yeah, nice. be sure to keep an eye out for those. Cool, cool, man. And then as we come to a close, any final advice for those that want to pursue a career in animation? Yes. I'm pretty sure this is like the fifth time I said it, but (laughs) (laughs) again, do what you love to do in the world of animation, whether that's like, you know, drawing your favorite characters, drawing whatever, drawing, drawing what you love, animating what you love, just Shia LaBeouf it, do it. Like, (laughs) (laughs) oh, that's an old meme. (laughs) Yeah, I'm bringing that back. But yeah, I think about him all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, what's he doing now? But yeah, do just just do it essentially like don't be afraid of what others will think of it don't afraid that they'll judge you for it just do what you love to do find the people that will help you pursue it like i'm really grateful that i found justin and david to help essentially kickstart my animation career firstborn with dreamview like fi- find the people that you can resonate with that'll resonate with you and you know they'll help you you can help them pursue your goal in life and more mm-hmm. often than not you'll be best friends with them forever i hope uh, <laughs> but yeah awesome man and yeah don't don't give up don't think that your work won't be worth it because there are times where i've definitely thought that like oh mm. this this thing that i'm gonna put out i don't think it'll get any views but again that goes into the firstborn mindset like doesn't matter what other people will think just do it for yourself and over time you will improve and get better and yeah push to be the best version of yourself it's wonderful advice. Well, thank you so much for mm-hmm. joining us today. Thank you guys for having me on. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. If you audience enjoyed our interview with Eric today, please rate and follow us on Anchor Spotify or wherever you tune in. Leave us a rating so that the algorithm boosts us up wherever you do listen to us. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at StraightAheadAP. Uh, if you have any suggestions for future guests, please contact us on social media or send us an email at straightaheadpodcast at gmail.com. We love discovering new professionals and want to use this platform to boost these voices of the future. Special thanks to our editor, Ashley Itleong. And finally, a big thanks to a music composer, Daniel Rodier. Thanks again for listening. And thank you once again to our guest with a bright future straight ahead. Until next week, have a wonderful day. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye, guys.